Hey guys, welcome to another episode of As the Crime Turns. It's me, your host, Desmond Ravel, and I'd like to thank you for listening today and every week thus far. If this is your first time listening and you enjoyed the show, please subscribe. For my Apple Podcast listeners, please leave a five-star rating and review. I'd love to hear your feedback. For those of you who aren't new, tell a friend or two. Let them know to listen, and if they enjoy, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. I thank you for your support. This week, we're taking a different approach to crime. In most cases, when we hear true crime, we think of death, be it homicide, suicide, manslaughter, or whatever. Oftentimes, overlooking the notorious crimes that don't involve death, like thievery, and maybe fraud, and even kidnapping. Here is the season finale of season one. Miss Beulah. When I was growing up, I was told that I was adopted from Memphis, Tennessee. I asked numerous questions. I never got any answers. After my adoptive mother passed away, I was packing her things. I found correspondence from the Tennessee Children's Home. And that's when I started my search. Two and a half years later, I found my name. Two hours later, I found my mother. Cindy Lepresto discovered that she was separated from her family in 1947 when she was just two years old. She had originally been christened Sandra Lee Bridgewater. But only when Cindy recently found her birth mother, Evelyn Bridgewater, was she able to piece together the sinister events that led up to her adoption. I was playing on the playground, and Georgia Tan drove up in her proverbial black limousine. Kidnap. To kidnap someone is to unlawfully carry or confine a person against their own will. Even though there were several forms of kidnapping done prior, i.e. slavery and the Holocaust, history shows the emergence of the term kidnapping and the act appeared around 1874. Luckily, our story isn't set in the 1800s, but it isn't too far off. This week, we are in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, known for its unique ties to music, including the blues, soul, rock and roll, and one of the most notorious she-devils. This is the story of Beulah George Tan. For during the 1940s, Tan took hundreds, maybe thousands of babies from their birth mothers, mostly women who were poor or uneducated and so couldn't fight back. And then she would place the babies with childless couples who would pay up to thousands of dollars. Tan told those parents the money was just to cover expenses. But in truth, 
Most of the money went into Georgia town. Beulah, better known as Georgia, was born in 1891 in Neshoba County, Mississippi, in the town Philadelphia, to a district court judge and his wife, George Clark and Beulah Isabella Tan. Raised in a very controlled and wealthy household, Georgia grew up surrounded by what seemed to be education and music. At the age of five, Georgia began piano lessons that would continue through adulthood. George Clark wanted Georgia to be a well-known pianist. However, Georgia hated the keys. Georgia grew up with aspirations of being a lawyer, similar to her father. As a child, he would allow her to read his law books so that she could familiarize herself and learn more of the law. In her early teens, Georgia enjoyed helping the poor. Instead of socializing, like many of the children her age, she would instead go and feed the hungry orphans and the needy. When Georgia was 15 years old, her father had a court case in which he was left with two orphan twin boys who had no home. Georgia took it upon herself to find the boys the best family she could. She went around the town and interviewed different families looking for a child, and she found a wealthy family willing to adopt the two orphans. I'm not quite sure if Georgia knew at that early of an age that this would become an addiction for herself later in life. In 1913, she graduated from Martha Washington College in Virginia with a degree and music. She then went on to spend about two years in the great state of New York. Afterward, she would find herself returning to Mississippi, along with her love for law and hopes of becoming a lawyer. Georgia studied and read the law and passed the Mississippi State Bar. In fact, it was said she was the first woman in the state of Mississippi to pass the state bar exam. Due to the timing and lack of rights or equal opportunity for women, some would say, she would never get the chance to practice law. The usual thing at that particular time was for a woman to marry and have children and actually take pride in raising their children and building a family. Georgia, however, was slightly different. It was rumored Tan never wanted to birth children or even marry a man. Instead, she delved herself into something that soothed her father's misogyny and suitable for women, I guess, social work. Georgia's first job was with the Mississippi Children's Home Finding Society, an adoption agency. Adoption was not common during these times. I mean, we've all seen Annie, right? Anyway, it was during her time at the Finding Society, she began developing her own philosophy, if you will. Georgia saw those of wealthy classes more powerful than the poor. Perhaps it was the services her current job was providing that made her feel this way. Georgia felt the poor women who had no home for their children were considered poverty-stricken breeders, for lack of better words. She believed that the poor were incapable of caring for children. At the Mississippi Children's Home, prior to placing a child into adoption, 
It was the job of the social workers to try and assist the mothers in keeping the child any way that they could. Anywhere from medical resources to small stipends or vouchers. However, Georgia Tan would do the opposite. She would find anything she could to deem the mothers unfit and then take the child. Pretty soon, she realized she could collect a fee from this child placement process. To keep children coming, she would leverage her father's legal expertise, her knowledge of the law, and the lack of rules and regulations around adoption at that time. Georgia began purposely removing poor children from their mothers and placing them with the wealthy, and of course, collecting a healthy fee. As the money got good, Georgia got greedy. At this point, she was still in children for any reason necessary. In 1922, a young pregnant widow, Rose Harvey, was in her home asleep. On the back porch of Rose's home was her son, Onyx, playing. Georgia used her natural charm and, of course, a candy cane and lured Onyx into her car. Once she got the boy in her Ford T model, she persuaded her father to sign documentation stating Rose was an unfit mother. Onyx was then sold to a wealthy family. Rose would attempt to seek legal aid in retrieving her son, but had no luck. As time passed, Georgia also lured Rose's other son away, deeming Rose once again as an unfit mother and selling her child to the same family that Onyx had already been placed with. Rose was obviously furious. When Harvey went to challenge this in court, Tan's father still had a way over the courtroom at the time. It was said when news broke of children being stolen or abducted, or whichever word they were using, Georgia was ran out of town. She sought refuge in a new town and new job when she began her career and a very lucrative side job at the Tennessee Children's Home Society in Memphis. There, she became the director. In Memphis, the population at the time was suffering from yellow fever. It was said at the time the population was maybe about 19,000. And of that 19,000, 5,000 people actually died from yellow fever. The city would eventually become bankrupt. The rebuild of Memphis, however, would work in Georgia's favor. As she built an alliance with the city's mayor, Edward Crump. This would allow Georgia to become ultimately intangible. Initially, the children's home was not just used as an orphanage. It was also somewhat a caretaker's haven. If you couldn't afford your child at the moment, but felt you would regain financial strength later, your child could stay at the children's home temporarily. It's almost somewhat like foster care today. This is where Georgia started taking children. She knew she could deem the parents as being unfit and make out, for lack of better words, like a fat rat by using her powers in the courtroom to get the children adopted. As Georgia's business began to boom, she couldn't meet the demand for those who wanted children. This is when she began blatantly taking them. By this time, Georgia had met a woman who she had grown fun of, Anne Atwood Hollingsworth. 
and she adopted her own child, June. The relationship between Georgia and June was very cut and dry, allegedly no more than gifts and pleasantries. Because Georgia could pull so many strings and cahoots with the city officials, she could walk directly into a delivery room and take newborns. Georgia hired a fleet of women to work for her, and being one of them. Women dressed as nurses would stand outside the delivery room and wait for the child to be born, and then come in and abduct them without question. I imagine these mothers would be under some type of sedation and may have not been in the best mindset to be aware of what was happening. When the mothers would ask about the whereabouts of their children, it would be explained to them that their children had been born dead and unfortunately buried right after by the state. When the mothers would explain they heard their child cry, the fake nurses would explain to them that they were confused and that it was another child that they heard cry. Because they were sedated, they didn't know what was going on. However, not to worry, because Georgia Tan and the Tennessee Children's Home Society had offered to pay for the burial services for them. This was the complete opposite in reality. The baby had been stolen by Georgia. Several lawsuits were filed by mothers in Memphis in hopes of returning their children, but the suits never saw the light of day because of Mayor Crump. Georgia only wanted white children specifically. She would pay people for those with the Hitler mold, blonde hair and blue eyes. She would become very fond of a juvenile judge, Camille Kelly. Judge Kelly would often see children and their parents who needed public assistance in her courtroom. It was said that Judge Kelly would record names of children who fat George's mold. From that point forward, the children would be gone in a matter of days. Georgia, or one of those in her fleet, would approach the homes of the children and explain they were being taken as their environments were not fit. I imagine there were some fee exchanges between Judge Kelly and Tan. While some of the children were able to be sold right away, there were others who were not so lucky. Oftentimes, these children would be sent off to the barracks of baby farmers. Baby farmers were alleged women who would take care of the children for fees until they were adopted. Unfortunately, that's not quite how it went. Once the fee was collected, a lot of the women would see no incentive to keep the child alive. Children would oftentimes be mixed in with those that were sick or ill. Sometimes these women would file life insurance policies on the children and then kill them to collect the money. Children were killed with scalding water by hand beating them to death. An article in the New York Times from the 20s stated life insurance policies for children should not be allowed because it was attempting to those who would commit inhuman crimes. Over 500 children were said to have died by neglect under Tan's care. By the mid-30s, Georgia was charging up to $50,000 in today's money for a child. By 1935, she had a child in every state of the U.S., she didn't care if the child was a good fit for the home or not. She truly wanted the money. Those close to her would say, quote, she wanted to get her hands on every child she could. Quote, 
During the holiday seasons, Georgia began placing ads for Georgia's Christmas Babies. The headline would be titled, Want a Real Life Baby? She was a brilliant publicist and would go on to convince the nation that adoption was a good thing and that oftentimes, yes, then no. Adopted children would turn out better than birth children. Georgia was praised all over and seen as the light when it came to new adoption laws. To the point, Eleanor Roosevelt sought out Georgia Tan for her advice on child welfare. She was also invited to the inauguration of President Harry Truman. A con woman, truly Georgia was. She had built a career and millions off of the lives of young poverty-stricken mothers and their abducted children. It was the rising infant mortality rate in the early 40s in the state of Tennessee, which led investigators to take a closer look at Miss Georgia Tan and the children's home. At one point, the infant mortality rate in Memphis, Tennessee alone was the highest in the country. By 1945, there was about where as many as 50 children had died in a span of four months from neglect. Georgia Tan was relentless. Several medical professionals in the area were trying their best to end her by investigating the many scandalous acts of Tan. Children were being kept in inhuman conditions, in blazing heat. Some were literally sedated every day until they could be sold or adopted. Many would naturally take ill. Some were even sexually abused. It was alleged Tan hired a male caretaker who at one point was supposedly taking young boys in the woods. Internet sources even say he was seen burying a child in the garden of the children's home once. In the dawn of the 1950s, a full-blown investigation had started against him. That wasn't the only clock ticking for her either. A state investigator at the time stated, quote, her babies died like flies, quote, on September 12, 1950, the governor of the state of Tennessee at the time finally publicly defamed Tan. He didn't go into depth stating all of the mothers that were affected and the deaths that had come from her wrath, but he did, however, explain the substantial amount of money Georgia had profited during her some 25 years of business. He stated, and I quote, she is not the adoption angel she claimed to be. Luckily for Georgia and all of those involved in her scandals, she fell ill overnight and could not answer any questions pertaining to these crimes. Just three days later, September 15, 1950, Georgia Tan died from cancer in her home. The Tennessee Children's Home was closed for good. After Georgia's death and the exposing of the kidnapping acts from the last two decades, attempts to return the children to the parents were lost. It was almost like pulling a needle from a haystack. Many, and I mean I feel at least 80%, were never reconnected with their families. After quite a long battle in 1995, many of those still living were granted access to their original birth certificates. Of those few 
there was a small amount that was lucky enough to be reconnected with their families. Even though reconnected, none of them seemed to build a lasting relationship. Georgia Tan's wrath caused irreparable damages. Some of those that were famously noted for using Tan's services were people like Joan Crawford, the actress from movies like Mildred Pierce, Flamingo Road, and the Trog adopted her children Christina and Kathy and Tan. Dick Powell, the star of the movie The Bad and the Beautiful from 1951, as well as June Allison from the hit Little Women, were also famous customers of Tan. Unsure of his parents, however, Ric Flair was also an adopted baby of Georgia Tan. In 1993, a feature film was created titled Stolen Babies, starring Mary Tyler Moore, about the life of Georgia Tan. Mary went on to receive an Emmy Award for her role as Georgia Tan in this movie. This can be found uh, on the internet if you care to see it. I've placed several of the newspaper ads as well as some photos and Unsolved Mystery articles on the site for you all to view and learn more about the story of Georgia Tan and her infamous kidnappings. That's it for today's episode, guys. I hope you all enjoyed. Remember, I place extra details, images, and sources on the site for you to view each week. That's www.askthecrimeturnspodcast.com. While you're there, please sign up for a mailing list. Also, keep up with us on social media. Follow us on the Insta at Ask the Crime Turns Podcast. We hope to see you right back here in the fall when we return for season two. Until then, I'm Desmond Rebell. And this is As the Quiet Journalist.